You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for The Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. My name is Randy, and I'm one of the elders here at The Gate, and uh, seeing as how we've stuck our pastor on the sound this morning, he's asked me to bring the message to you. And as we continue our summer series titled, No Greater Love, we're going to switch gears somewhat. To date, we have looked at God's amazing love. To summarize, we have learned that God's perfect love saves and adopts us, disciplines us, protects us, and comforts us, and never fails us. God's love for us is everlasting and victorious. Indeed, God is love. In fact, as I understand the Bible, the will of God in the gospel message and its expectations, everything that really matters stems from a true and valid concept of love. But in order to have a proper relationship with God, it seems to me that there should be some expectations on the other part of this relationship, on us. And there certainly is. As we proceed throughout the month of August in our summer series, we are going to look at how God's love enables us to love. You know, the greatest motivational factor for Christianity, and sometimes the most difficult thing to grasp, is the extent to which God loves us. In fact, we ought to be moved by God's love for us. So let's begin by considering how love relates to all of God's expectations on man. In Matthew 22, 35 to 38, the Pharisees were testing our Lord Jesus once again, and this is how it went. And one of them, a lawyer, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he, being Jesus, said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The great and first commandment. What Jesus responds in this passage would not have been new to the Pharisees or any of the Jews. Some 13 to 1400 years previous, Moses in Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 repeated the very same words to Israel after he had given them the Ten Commandments from God, reminding them of the covenant relationship God had established with them. And these words would have been said twice a day by faithful Jews, morning and night, along with the Shema, or Shema as they call it, which means hear, ever since that time, which states, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our Lord, the Lord is one. The first and greatest commandment summarizes the first four commandments of the ten, which we define how we should which define how we should love our Lord or God. Incidentally, four is the spiritual number of creation. So that fits. Everything fits with God. The last six commandments define, define how we demonstrate our love for each other. And we'll begin that topic next week. And also, just a little note. After the Ten Commandments of Moses in the intervening 13 to 1400 years until Jesus says this, 
the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all those people had devised a total of 613 laws and commandments, all man-made. That's kind of burdensome, and it was in those days. Although he required the Israelites to obey his commandments, the Bible has said all along that they were given to expose the motives of man's heart and show the need for a Savior. God's standard is simply too high for sinful man to achieve. Timothy Keller states, The Ten Commandments are for our good, that we may prosper. They reflect consummate wisdom. They help us live in such a way that fulfills our design nature of knowing the God we were built to love. So the greatest commandment, to love the Lord with all our heart, and with all our soul, and with all our mind, is a reminder to the believer to love the Lord their God with their total being. Luke, in his parallel passage in Luke 10, verse 27, adds the word strength to emphasize even more this concept of total devotion. To kind of put this into perspective, one could use the parent-child relationship as an example. Our parents could represent God in our early lives, having been involved in creating us and being responsible for providing for us. In return, by honoring our parents, we demonstrate our love for God, our ultimate creator and provider. God's love, then, is the reason for us to love. In 1 John 4, verse 19, we read, We love because He first loved us. We love because He first loved us. Very simple, but so profound and important. Then again, we're bound to ask, what is the reason for God to love me? Why would God love me and you? Why would He send us the greatest gift ever, His Son, to live and die for us and take all our sins upon Himself in the most selfless act imaginable? First, because He made us in His own image as well. Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16 state, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. And second, it is simply the nature of God. As we've learned previously, 1 John 4 verse 8, God is love. So much so that he even loved us while we were yet his enemies. While we were lost, misbehaving, doing ungodly things, he reached out and demonstrated that love by sending Jesus to rescue us. Without a doubt, such amazing love should warrant and generate a response from us. The great and the first commandment shows us the way. Loving God with all our heart. By grasping how much God loves us, that should move us to trust Him and his word. That is called faith. 
And such faith should move us to do whatever God indicates we should do. Whether we understand it, whether it corresponds with our own thinking or not, because we know how much He loves us, and so we can trust Him. That is service. That is obedience. Faith moves us from outward obedience to obedience from the heart. And that is what God is looking for from His children. Love the Lord with all your heart. The heart is the center of our life. It is also the control center of all our affections. To love God with all your heart is to set all your affections on Him. To desire God above all else, as the deer longs for streams of water in Psalm 42, verse 1. Make Him number one in your life. Make Him your greatest treasure. Matthew 6, verse 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This requires us to put God ahead of all our worldly possessions, job, career, even family. Always remember Jesus' sacrifice, and you will never have to worry about your heart being somewhere else other than with God. Loving God with all your soul. If the heart is the control center of all our affections, the soul is the center of all our emotional activities. Our soul literally defines who we are. Our soul is our inner self. It is our identity or personality. Loving the Lord with all our soul then has to do with devotion. To love God with all our soul means to be devoted to Him completely. It means total commitment to God to the point that you are willing to surrender your life to Him completely. To love God with all our soul is to be passionate about Him. Luke 9, 23 and 24 says it best. And He said to all, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Me, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. This requires us to make godly choices every day. Our lives are the sum of the choices we make, plain and simple. Choices flow from what we treasure most. It also requires us to be obedient to His Word. When we demonstrate our love for God by keeping His commandments, we are tangibly expressing our love for Him. You know, sometimes we're not going to feel like loving God, but we do it out of love for God, nonetheless. In the kingdom, obedience usually comes first and feeling second. Loving God with all your mind. The mind, of course, is the center of our intellectual life. It is the origin of our ideas, our perspective in life, and our viewpoints. The mind is an amazing gift from God and enables each of us to think and make decisions. To love God with all your mind is to bring your mind under the Lordship of Christ and pursue a mind that seeks the truth about God. Even though Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9 reminds us that God's thoughts and ways are so high we can't fathom them, fathom them we are still to submit to Him by allowing His Word 
to transform us by the renewing of our mind. Romans 12, verse 2. Loving God with all your mind means you act not on what you think, but in accord accord with the facts of the Word of God. If you are a Christian, praise the Lord. You have acted on His call. If you have not answered His call, He stands at the door of your heart and knocks. He will never force Himself upon you because He is a perfect gentleman and He has given us free will. It is up to us to open the door and to let Him in. The decision is always ours, but the result has eternal consequences. Seek Him and build your relationship with Him through reading and studying His living Word in the Bible. Use your mind, fellowship with other believers, discern the truth through searching the Scriptures and prayer. Sift out all of the man-made apostasy and follow what Psalm 118 verse 8 so succinctly says, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust man. Love the Lord with all your strength. Ephesians 6 verse 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. This advice from Ephesians is so very timely and important as we consider even the present world condition. Christian morals are being attacked and even compromised within the Christian church itself by the schemes of the devil. We live in unprecedented times. The pandemic record natural disasters such as drought, unrelenting wildfires, massive flooding, mass animal, fish and bird deaths, famine, locust invasions, and many more seemingly unexplainable events. Even in our societal relationships, it seems the words of the prophet Isaiah are coming more and more true. When he said in Isaiah 5, verses 20 and 21, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. The truth has become ever harder to discern. But the good news is that God doesn't leave the Christian hanging. He not only gives us the means to understand the times, but also the solutions, the Holy Bible. Now that's an amazing gift from the God who loves us. And the more we know about God's love through His Holy Word, the more we are able to love others. Again, simple, but so profound. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Apostle Paul felt we should know this to help us open our eyes to the importance of Scripture in our lives. All of 2 Timothy 3 is worth reading in light of the times. To love God with all our strength is to recognize God as our only source and means for living. This means not leaning on our own strength, but to use our strength as we lean by faith on Him. We need to build our strength against the multitude of schemes of the devil by trusting that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ 
whom the Apostle John in his gospel called the Word, is by our side when we need him. He hears our prayers, and rest assured, he always answers them. And like a good father, with answers that are heaven-sent, not worldly. And as a believer in Christ, no matter what we may be experiencing in life, no matter what the world looks like, no matter what trial or difficulty we are facing, we can be encouraged by what God has in store for us. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, we read, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God, in his great love, has prepared for those who love him. The Bible gives us a glimpse into God's wonderful plan when we venture from this life into our new life in eternity. Revelation 21, verse 4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. There are many such passages in the Bible that encourage us to run the race to the end, to stay on the path that leads to Jesus. We, as Christians, have hope. And I encourage you to daily search Jesus out and to indeed love because he first loved us. Amen. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father God, for your love and guidance through your commandments. Thank you for giving us the greatest gift possible, your Son, Jesus. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would continue to draw us closer to you through our obedience to your word.